All right, so would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 51? I think even before we covered it the last time that we were here on Wednesday night uh, regarding David, Bathsheba, Uriah, and all the, and Nathan the prophet, we already knew about that story. But this is such, this is such a, a profound reflection of the man who is called a man after the heart of God. Finally, having been confronted with his sin, Nathan confronted him. He was in denial there for a long time. He, of course, committed adultery. And then he conspired to commit murder. And then he committed murder through the conspiracy. And then he ignored it, covered it up. It was just a horrible, a horrible string of, uh, of sinful activities in David's life. Now, let's think about David before we get into this. David, when the, uh, when the situation developed with Bathsheba, was at the pinnacle of his life. He was at the height of receiving blessings from God. No one in the world enjoyed the relationship with God like David did. God granted him every, uh, every victory. He did everything that was positive with David. David administered in an infallible way. God had done everything David's way. And David became a great man. You remember that in the scriptures? David became a great man uh, before all the kings and the nations in his part of the world in that time. And David is not an immature saint. David knows about the things that are supposed to be done at the tabernacle. He understands the priesthood. He knows how to pray. He knows how to enjoy and to seek after the blessings of God. He's, he's at the top of his spiritual life until this happens. So there's a lesson here for all of us And it is this, David, the great man of worship who wrote psalms and songs and led worship and prayed and wrote prayers, the great man of worship also was a wretched sinner. So there is something about the lesson that is applicable to us. Number one, we should, of course, pursue the worship of our God as fervently and as zealously as possible, like David did. 
because of all of the blessings and favors that God has bestowed upon us. But the second lesson is that we must never, ever deny the wretchedness of our fallen nature. We'll see this, as God willing, as we go through this 51st Psalm. So when we come together in a time before God in his presence together corporately, it is, of course, important to worship him, to offer worship. But it's also important to come humbly expressing the wretchedness of our, of our fallen condition and the fragile lives that we live presently because we're not glorified yet. We have an enemy who seeks to destroy us and who seeks to destroy our testimony and he seeks to destroy others by our destruction even though we be saints before the Lord. So we keep all of this in mind and we take some great points. I, as I went through, I, I did this three or four times, but I'm just going to go straight through. I thought I would really play heavily on the words, but I've, I've went back and I just sort of expanded the way the words can be translated. And we'll just pretty much stick to this and consider this expanded uh, translation of the text. So it's for the conductor. It's for the great musician, the conductor. It is a song, a psalm, a song, a psalm, a psalm, a song of David. When Nathan the prophet came to him when he went into Bathsheba. So this is his prayer once confronted with his sin recognizing that it was time to own up to his evil deeds. Be gracious. Okay, let me say this. I'm, I'm in the Hebrew text, and this is the translation. The Hebrew text has two more verses. It's the same stuff. But the Hebrew text counts two verses at the top that I don't think your translation would have. So I'm, you're going to see at the end of it, you'll see, and through it, you'll see that there's more verses than what you probably have in your Bible. But it's the same thing. It's just the way, it's just the, way the verses were counted according to either the Hebrew uh, uh, edition or the translation, which left the superscript like it is and didn't count it as verses. So don't think we're messed up here on that. Be gracious to me, Elohim. Now, he begins to pray. The first thing he appeals to, the only thing to which he can appeal is the grace of God. He can't appeal to the law The law would stone him to death. He has no recourse in the law. He can't appeal to human merit because he has lost all credibility. There is no merit 
in his life. He cannot appeal to accomplishment because though Yahweh gave him the victory on the battlefield, the king betrayed his warrior and killed him because he wanted his wife. He can't appeal to anything except grace. That's it. That's the way we all are. There is nowhere to go. Everything else crushes us. It kills us. We have to appeal to grace. Be gracious to me. Now the personal pronoun, me and my, you'll see it all the way through this thing because he doesn't blame the devil. He doesn't blame Bathsheba. He doesn't blame anything or he doesn't blame God, of course. He blames himself. And this is where we are when we sin. Be gracious to me, Elohim. Now there's an interesting thing, except for one time when he references God as Adonai. Except for that one reference later on in the text, in the psalm. He only calls him Elohim. All of his writings, is, it's always Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. But here it's Elohim. And I've thought about this and thought about it, I'm thinking, why? He has this personal relationship and the, and the term of Yahweh is the covenant term. And it's the the loving name of God that he gives to his covenant people. I'll tell you how I think it is. Having thought about this and reflected upon it, Elohim instead of Yahweh. It is because David is so ashamed He is under such a crushing defeat from sin. He is so far down in the depths of sin that he has a sense of being so far away from God. At this moment, he just doesn't feel like he's qualified to appeal to Yahweh. So he appeals to the great God, Elohim. Why it's that way, I think, develops itself as we go through the psalm. Be gracious to me, Elohim. According to your loving kindness, chesed, your covenant love. I'll tell you this. And this is the theme of my life. It is the theme of ministry for me. It is the theme of preaching. It is the theme of the Bible itself. There is no good thing in any of us. Nothing. How many times do you have to sin to be a sinner? And that one sin disqualifies you from everything. But it goes beyond that and we'll see as we go through this. 
So when we appeal to God in praying for forgiveness, we come to Elohim knowing that he is known to be willing to forgive and knowing that he has the power to forgive. And it is because of who he is and not because of who we are. That's what he appeals to here. Your covenant love, your loving kindness, your tender mercy. This is who God is. So he comes to God on the basis of who God is and not on the basis of who he is because none of us are anything unless and until God draws us, calls us, and puts us where he wants us to be. It's all of God. Your loving kindness. I have nothing on which I can stand. I started out disqualified and I've gone down from there. Only you can lift me up. It must be by grace. Oh, not. I don't need justice. Justice would kill me. He can't appeal to the justice of God. He has to appeal to the grace of God. The tender loving kindness, the covenant love of God. God, when he says, when he says that, here's what he's saying. I didn't deserve it. When you brought me into the covenant, I haven't deserved it ever since I've been in the covenant and I sure don't deserve it now. And I have, I have hung by the string of your mercy and nothing of what I've done. So I'm appealed to your grace according to your covenant love. What you said you would do to me. I don't have anything else to. If I ever said that I would do something to you, I just negated all that. That's that way way with us. Christ dies on the cross. God calls us to do our salvation. We are saved by the grace of God. We don't deserve the salvation and we don't deserve the keeping of God. It's only by the grace of God that we're saved, that we're kept. It's all of God. So he says, this is according to your loving kindness. I am appealing to you according to your great mercies. And he gets right to the point. And this, this, this word in the, in the Hebrew text, it's, uh, it's uh, abolish, cancel out, obliterate. Erase my transgressions. Don't keep an account of this. Blot it out completely. Tear that page out. Burn it up and let the ashes float into the nothingness of darkness that it may never be seen or thought of again. Do away with it completely. Cancel out. Erase. My transgressions. 
That's only by grace. See, he can't, he can't, he can't say, if you'll this, then I'll that. He can't say any of that stuff. There's nothing, there's nothing there on which he can stand except to be able to appeal to the grace, loving kindness, and tender mercies of Elohim, the great God. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity. Now, iniquity is something that deserves punishment. It's, 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 a, it's such a transgression that it demands punishment. And David uses every term for evil in his life that, that the Hebrew dictionary will give. And he starts out with iniquity and then he says, it's his sin. Purify me, cleanse me of my sin. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity. Purify me of my sin. I'm dirty. And I cannot cleanse myself. I stink. I'm nasty. I'm despicable. Would you wash me thoroughly? Wash off from me that which demands a guilty verdict because it's a hard set of crimes. Cleanse me of my sin that is all over me. Secondly, the children are now dismissed. Okay, let me see if I got it here now. I don't know what in the world I did. Okay, iniquity and sin. Yeah, that's the next one. For I know. Now, three things here for the sinner. It, I, I must have done something. That's the, it's early in the year, but this is already my second mistake of the year. Three things for the saint. Number one is to know his sin. Number two, to know his God. And number three, to know himself. Those three things keep coming through. In this song, for I know, I clearly understand, and my sin is always before me. A man under conviction and miserable, I clearly understand what I've done. And I'm not going to deny it and I can't escape it. And it has made me miserable. 
Against you alone have I sinned, and I have done this evil in your sight, that you be found just when you speak and blameless in your judgments. Here's what he's saying. I'm just going to go ahead and assume the position of the deepest, darkest, worst sinner that could be imagined. I have lusted in my heart. I have committed adultery. I have conspired to commit murder. I have murdered, but I haven't just murdered anybody. I murdered one of my loyal soldiers who while he was on the front line defending my kingdom, I was plotting a way to kill him so that I could hide the sin of her pregnancy and and of our affair. I know what I've done. It's clear to me. But this evil has been against you, Elohim. And I'll just tell you, whatever the worst thing that you do to me is, you're blameless in it. I deserve it. When you speak against me in this judgment, you are just, you're justified in what you do. Do you know God has the right at any moment in time to bring down wrath and judgment on the heads of any of us because of our sin? It's only by grace that we're delivered from that. It's only by the righteousness of Christ that we escape these things. And David is saying, If you brought down the thunderous wrath of heaven upon my head, you would be blameless in it and you would be justified because I have committed grievous sin and I've committed it against you. Now, when you see that word behold, when you see that word behold, This is an expression, an outburst of emotion that screams from the essence of the existence of the one who speaks it. Look! I was formed, brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. This is who I am, really. I'm nothing other than a sinner. From the moment of my conception, even to the point when I came through the womb and out as a a little baby, I was a sinner. This is who I am. Look, this is who I am. The scream, the cry of a helpless sinner. That's that's what we are. Helpless sinners. The only thing that spares us, those of us who are in Christ, is the grace of God. Nothing else. 
nothing of my merit, nothing of my obedience, no, no perfection of mine at all. It doesn't exist. This is who I am. So the picture is David screaming and grieving and crying, look, this is what I am. This is who I am. From the time I was conceived, I've been in iniquity. I'm a sinner. He continues with this emotional outburst. Look, you desired that truth be in the hidden or the inward places and in the concealed or the hidden part. And there's where you would make me know wisdom. Your desire is to plant your truth in my life and hidden within my heart. I should feed on your truth personally and you would make me to know wisdom. But I have failed. This is what you, look, this is what you desire, but look at what I really am. He continues in his prayer. Purify me with a hyssop and I will become pure. I will be cleansed. Wash me and I will become whiter than snow. Hyssop was the little shrub thing that the priests would take and they would go to where the sacrifice had been made. It involved a leper and they would dip that little overgrown broccoli in a, the blood. They would sprinkle the, the unclean one with this blood. And he would be purified. And then they would wash him. And all that he was had fallen, fallen off, the scales and all. And when he was washed, his skin was like a, a baby's skin. David says, every kind of nastiness and uncleanness is clinging to me. Purge me. Purify me. Sprinkle the blood on me as the unclean man that I am and let me be clean and then wash all of that off of me and let me be whiter than snow. He appeals to a loving God whose reputation is to forgive sinners. Now, David never lost his salvation, but he lost the joy of it. Make me hear joy and gladness. 
Let the bones that you crushed rejoice. Hide your countenance, your face from my sins. Turn away from it and cancel out all of my iniquities. Make them disappear. Create for me a pure heart, a clean heart. Elohim. And renew a steadfast, a firm, a fixed spirit within me. I don't want to waver anymore. I don't want to go through this anymore. Renew me with a fixed spirit and create for me a clean, a pure heart. It has to reach deep within. Do not cast me away from before you and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, the special servants of Yahweh were anointed with oil, which was the symbol of the giving of God's Holy Spirit to those who were enabled to do special things. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with enablement to perform a particular work or duty to which God had called that person a prophet, a king. This is why David was so good in administration. This is why David was so good in commanding men. This is why David was so good in working with other nations. This is why David was so good in making his nation prosperous and thus building up the prosperity of his people. It was the power of God that enabled him to do these things to which God had called him. David doesn't want to lose that. Do not cast me away from before you or from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And let a, a willing spirit, a, a, a generous spirit uphold me. A ready spirit. Now this is not necessarily, I don't capitalize the word spirit because it's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of the man engaged with the spirit of God who is, in this case, restored to his readiness, his willingness. And that this special strength that God will give him will support him, will uphold him. What kind of effect will this have on the people of God? Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. People will be made to understand the horrors of sin, the forgiveness of God, the restoration to work and joy 
of salvation. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, Elohim, Elohim of my salvation, and my tongue will sing praises of your righteousness. Adonai, master, open my lips and my mouth will confess your praise. It is, you know, when we look at this, this is the inspired word of God. Now, of course, it's the prayer of David. It's a song. And it's the prayer of David, who was a great sinner and praying for forgiveness. But do you know this very prayer is the word of God? It means that God placed it in his heart. God is saying through all of these words, this is what I will hear. This is what I expect from those who sincerely seek forgiveness. And unless and until David prays this kind of prayer and writes this song, he wouldn't be able ever again to write another song or to sing out the praise. And so he continues to ask Open my lips again. I haven't wanted to sing. I don't have a song in my heart. Open my lips and my mouth will confess your praise. And there were many glorious psalms yet to follow. For you do not desire a sacrifice or else I should give it. You do not desire a burnt offering. The sacrifices of Elohim are a broken spirit a broken and crushed heart. Elohim, you will not despise a broken and crushed heart. Elohim, these you will not despise. Elohim would despise the sin of the sinner, but he welcomes the humbled, penitent worshiper, regardless of what he's done. It isn't, it isn't the ceremony or the formalities of offering some kind of sacrifice. No, it's the inward thing. A crushed, broken heart these you will not despise. Crushed and broken. Grieved and filthy. Undone. And humiliated. And penitent. The great sinner David would find forgiveness and restoration from his great God of salvation. Elohim of my salvation. Now he shifts gears a little bit in his prayer. In your pleasure as it pleases you, do good to Zion. 
Build the walls of Jerusalem. How is this going to affect my nation, my kingdom, my people? Oh, be pleased, Elohim, to do good to Zion, to build the walls and strengthen Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices of righteousness. A burnt offering and a whole offering, they will offer up bulls on your altar. When God's people understand that it's just as important to come before the Lord having sinned in the wretchedness of your sin with a crushed and broken heart, that's, that's just as important as coming before him with worship and praise. If we, if we come before God acknowledging that we're just not worthy, we're not worth anything that he's ever done for us. He's only done it by grace and by his mercy and because he has entered into a, 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 an irrevocable covenant with us. All of him and none of me. When we come before him humbled and contrite like this, then we can worship. Then he's pleased with the sacrifices. We're going to stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.